Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm excited to share my guest today, Leah McCabe. Leah is the parent to two girls who are both on the spectrum. And after her girls got their diagnosis, Leah actually got an autism diagnosis for herself. She was so open and honest sharing how her diagnosis changed her life and has helped her support her girls better. And she shares all about her podcast, Embracing Autism, and her amazing autism charity called Autism Wish. So I love the impact that this mom is having really on the world and not only supporting her own family, but other families. So let's go ahead and hear from Leah. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'd love to have you kind of get started by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family and kind of what brought you to the autism community. Uh, sure. So basically, I was introduced to the autism community through my girls. So I am a parent to two girls. They're both diagnosed with autism. Um, They're still preschoolers. And that was pretty much my first real exposure. Retroactively, I realized I have some nephews and cousins and other family members that are also autistic, but I didn't really put those pieces together until after my kids' diagnoses. And then actually um, about a year after the second kid's diagnosis, I started seeing a lot of myself in my kids. I got a lot of comments about how my oldest kid, my my mom would always be like, man, you were just like that when you were little. She reminds (laughs) me so much of you. And I'm like, really? I was like, maybe I should look into that. So I started kind of realizing a lot of things I had in common. And I actually ended up getting a formal diagnosis of autism myself. Um, I had already been diagnosed with like ADHD, executive dysfunction, that sort of thing but never autism because it's often overlooked in girls. So that basically sparked a brand new passion in autism. Um, And so my whole family is neurodivergent, and we've really just been on this kick of advocating for autism. We have like our own little Autism Wish charity. We have our own podcast. Like we are just like (laughs) full-blown autism advocates now. I love it. You know, you kind of mentioned, you know, because – it's not as common in girls. Did you, how was your experience with getting your girls diagnosed? Was there ever, I don't know, pushback's the wrong word, but was there ever like disagreements or like, oh, maybe this is just how she is? What, you know, when thinking of like the stereotypes when it comes to girls and their diagnoses? So I would say like with family members, definitely. Um, there is still a lot of unknown when it comes to autism, especially in like the public community. Like people really don't know what autism is. Like they just see, TV shows and movies, and they basically assume autism has one specific look and feel. So if your kid doesn't fall into that category, they're like, no, they're just a quirky kid or, oh, they're just slow to talk. They'll grow into it. So I I definitely felt that with like family members. But honestly, it was the um, the school special education system that first flagged my kid for me. I didn't have any idea that she was autistic, but um, she was in that early intervention and the speech language pathologist was noticing stimming behaviors, which at the time I didn't even know what stimming was. 
Um, so here I thought she was just being a cute, adorable baby. Um, and she was like, oh, you might want to get her evaluated for autism. And I could tell she was really tiptoeing about it. Like, like she was worried she would offend me or like I would get mad or something because she's suggesting autism. Um, so that right there indicated something to me that like the community doesn't quite get autism. Um, but that was actually the first domino that fell that got us through that first, um, I guess the first door to get them assessed. And so we went to this highly specialized clinic and they immediately saw all the red flags with her. It was like a two day evaluation. There was like four different assessments. And so she was diagnosed around 20 months or so. And then because I had my other kid just 11 months after, so they're Irish twins, they immediately wanted to see her just to see developmentally how she does because there's a high prevalence rate with siblings and family. And so lo and behold, at like 12 months, she started showing symptoms as well. So they gave her a preliminary diagnosis at 12 months and then were able to give her like an official one at 17 months. So honestly, getting the diagnosis was easy. Um, the harder part was getting everybody else on board once they got the diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, you really just got like a crash course there because it was like boom, boom, right in a row. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty intense, but I learned a lot in a short amount of time. How did getting that diagnosis for your first daughter, daughter impact what services and support she was able to get? So the first one, honestly, it helps so much. And this is why I advocate so hard for people to go for that diagnosis, because the way I see it, even if they are not autistic and they get the diagnosis, you're only helping them by exposing them to more therapy options. Whereas, you know, they can always lose the diagnosis later if it wasn't real, true, authentic autism. But if you miss a diagnosis, then you miss all these opportunities for therapies. So like for my oldest, for example, she had a lot of physical delays. Like when she was supposed to be crawling, she couldn't because she has hypotonia or low muscle tone. So she would like frog leg out. She couldn't like sustain her weight. So she had a delay, like she was just never able to crawl. And then when it came to walking, she would fall a lot. Like she would take a couple steps and fall. She would trip over nothing. Anytime that she ran, she would just land on her face. And so she needed to go to physical therapy. And when you don't have um, an autism diagnosis, you get limited as to how many therapies you can do. And so she needed physical therapy, speech therapy, and occupational therapy. And our insurance would only cover 12 sessions, 12 sessions an entire year. My and so, yeah, it, like you can't really make any substantial progress with 12 sessions. So we basically learned like, if we got the autism diagnosis, suddenly insurances see that as a higher priority and will give you like unlimited therapy essentially. Um, so that's how that diagnosis really opened those doors for them. I mean, and you're smart because that, I mean, that early intervention piece, which I'm sure you talk to parents about this all the time is so important. Like if you miss out or wait because you're nervous, then you're missing such essential years, which I'm sure for both of your girls made such a difference. Yeah. I mean, the first one, the real big red flag that we saw with her was a regression. So she had speech. She was saying mama, papa. She was blowing kisses. We have videos of her doing this and then suddenly lost all of that. And like that was like the most devastating part because she could no longer say mama. She was no longer being affectionate. And so for us, that was like a big 
red flag and we're like, okay, we we definitely need to put in some interventions in place because we were worried with the regressions that she would lose more skills. And we noticed that if we weren't putting her through these therapies, she was losing these skills, which is why the pandemic actually hit us pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Because how old were your girls when that when the pandemic started? The youngest one was only four months old when we oh started lockdowns. Yeah, so this yep. happened all during the pandemic. Yes, and the oldest one was one. I mean, they got assessed right before, basically the first one got assessed right before the pandemic, um, the second one during the pandemic. And that was another problem is during the pandemic when they were going to like speech therapy and things like that, the therapists were all in masks. So you can imagine how hard it is to do speech therapy when you can't see the therapist's mouth. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My sister is an in-home SLP that does mostly early intervention, young kids and like, oh my shit, all these crazy, like, you know, the, the masks that are clear that came from like a helmet and all these things, like trying to get it to not fog up. And oh my gosh, it was so hard. Yeah. But those, those came even later. Like initially they didn't even have those. Yes, I know. (laughs) I know. What a like wild time thinking back to three years ago. (laughs) I know. Right. Seems so long ago now. I know. It's uh, it's like seems long ago, but also not at the same point because it's like, yeah. you know, ingrained in my brain. Those it's like a movie. Yes. <laughs> how How is your autism diagnosis? You know, you said that kind of you, you came third, really, right? It was your two girls and then you. How right. did that really change your outlook and ways that like you could support your kids, but also kind of support the whole autistic community? Oh, my gosh. So much because... Honestly, what getting that autism diagnosis did is it really like pulled back a layer of all these things that had kind of defined my life, but I never knew how to put together. So I I get why people say that autism is essentially a puzzle. I know there's like a debate over that, but it was, I mean, it was like solving a puzzle in my life because when I was young, I struggled so much academically. Um, I literally was tutored from elementary age all the way up. I did well, but I did well because I also had a lot of anxiety that drove me to succeed. (laughs) So that anxiety was lighting that fire under my feet of like, no, I have to do well. Um, But that was a little bit of that, you know, autistic kind of like neuroticism that I had where I had to have things very perfect and I needed to be perfect. Um, And growing up, I struggled developing friendships. I was always the outsider. Um, I remember vividly in elementary school during recess, everyone would be playing and I would always be at the picnic table reading books or writing stories. And I was like six. Um, And so I, I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like it was really difficult to make friendships and I never understood why. So when you grow up with that perspective and you don't really know why, you start to internalize that stuff. You start to think that it must be you. It must be something wrong with you. And so that's why I think getting a diagnosis is so important because it helps you really understand that. Yeah, I can totally see that. And then when it comes to now parenting two autistic girls, I can imagine you'll be such a great support with them for them when they if they deal with similar things because you've been there yourself. Yeah, I think that that really gave me like a perspective. I'm a lot more cautious now of like how they might feel about things. Now, the downside of that is I might end up being too protective because, you know, you don't want your kids to go through what you went through essentially. Mm -hmm. But it also gives me like, I think really good insight as to 
what they could potentially be feeling. So I can kind of use that as a way to connect with them when they can't necessarily express their emotions or verbalize how they're feeling. Because I <clears throat> I have a better, I guess, radar with reading them a little bit. I can kind of tell by their body language because it's a little bit similar to what I do, essentially. Yeah. No, I love that. And how have you kind of also taken this because I know you you said you're such like you, you and your family are all autism advocates now which I love and and what kind of prompted you to really share your story you know I'm, I'm imagine that is comes from a vulnerable place to really be that honest and share on a platform and with the whole community and and beyond to really raise awareness and acceptance what kind of motivated you to do that I think a lot of it came from Really, my first involvement in the online parenting community, um, so what most people do is they go to Facebook, they go to social media, and you're seeking for support. You're seeking for a network. You're trying to connect with somebody who gets what you're going through at that time. And when I was doing that, I was taking a look at what people were saying. I actually found it a lot darker than I had hoped. There was a lot of like hopelessness. There was a lot of fear and anxiety. And I also saw people bas basically asking the same questions repeatedly. What questions were they asking? So a lot of what I saw online was people basically asking like, where do I go from here? What do I do? What does this mean for my child? It seems like a lot of people saw an autism diagnosis as kind of like the end of the world. And there was a lot of hopelessness and negativity surrounding it. And I totally related to that because initially that's kind of like the knee-jerk reaction. Like there's not a whole lot known about autism. There's not a whole lot of not just information, but resources out there available. And most people don't know what it is. Like if you just ask somebody on the street, most people are like, what? I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that when your child gets this diagnosis, you know, they say that, um, the that fear comes from the unknown. So like the less you know, the more scared you are about something. So that's where that whole like knowledge and power comes in. So I started digging in and I started learning. And as I was learning these things, I realized that I could help the community out. So I would go on these social media places where I knew these people were asking these questions that I had already gone to my therapist for. So I had the answers. And I would basically just go and share this information with them especially for parents whose kids were on like one year waiting lists and they they just didn't have the access yet or they couldn't get therapy because of insurance. So I would go and share as much information as I could. That's basically why I started the podcast because I felt like it was an easier way to kind of combine all the information that I was consistently just repeating to people on the internet and social media and kind of condense it into one space Honestly, it was kind of more for me, so I wouldn't have to keep repeating myself. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I found like it would be just like a convenient way to share that knowledge to those parents who would come in and they'd be like really anxious and stressful. And I'd be like, look, here, here, I got this for you. I, I started off with what, you know, when you first get those red flags, how to get an appointment, what the therapies are. Like I broke everything down. And I'm like, here you go. Here is your manual. And uh, that's really how I started getting involved with social media. Kind of like what you wish you had when you had started this whole process. Yeah, it's kind of like the dummy's guide to figuring out an autism diagnosis and what that means for your child. That's so great. I love that. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You know, thinking about now where your kids are at, I'm sure you've worked with many, many teachers and different clinicians. And, you know, a lot of our audience, you know, consists of teachers and SLPs and BCBAs and things like that. What advice do you have for educators that are supporting kids with autism on how they can better accept neurodivergence, on how they can better communicate with parents? I know those are kind of two different questions, but what's what are some advice you have for educators? Um, Well, I do think they're connected because I think one of the things is to communicate with parents because for our kids, like we just put them in the education system. They're still in pre-K, but the very first issue we had was a lack of communication with the teachers. So that was really difficult because we weren't able to know how they were accomplishing things at school. We weren't sure if they were, you know, reaching their goals in their IEP. There just wasn't that like transparency, which made us stress out and think that, maybe they weren't, you know, doing what they needed to do. Maybe they weren't applying the IEP. Like we had no way of knowing. So first thing is just have that open line of dialogue and communication. What we do now with our teachers is um, we have a communication log. It's actually like this custom spreadsheet we made. And like on that spreadsheet, we have like a daily report of exact things like exactly what they did in therapy, if they were in therapy, um, if there were any issues, like if she had a meltdown or she tried to elope, um, and then just kind of like a summary of how she did over the day. Um, They'll notate things like um, whether or not she needed extra assistance or things like that, if she had any like green days, red days, whatever it may be. So that communication piece is something that's helped a lot and I would recommend people to do. Um, Another thing that I've learned that I definitely think teachers should reconsider is whatever system that you're using in school for behaviors, because our kids were in this kind of like red choice, green choice system. And already from the terms, you could tell that it's a loaded system because it's red choice, green choice. And I noticed that a lot of these things that were labeled as choices for these kids were things that would be considered a choice for like a neurotypical kid, but not an autistic kid. So some of these things would be like volume regulation, like being too loud. My kid has interoception issues. She is always too loud and doesn't notice. So she would get like a red card for that basically as a red choice. Mm -hmm. I would have a problem with that because she's not choosing to have poor interoception. She just can't tell that she's loud. Or um, like those words matter. Right. And like, to me, there's, no problem with addressing the issue. If she's being too loud, obviously that's an issue, especially if there's other autistic kids there that are triggered by that. But I wouldn't call it a choice. 
and I wouldn't treat it like a choice. And so being very conscious of how how you use that system in the class, I think makes a difference. I mean, and honestly, even in like gen ed classrooms, I mean, there's a lot of behaviors that are labeled as choices where kids really are just struggling with their executive functions, with their attention span, with their, you know, emotional regulation that at that moment, it's really not a choice. It's just a lack of skills. Right. I think like for me personally growing up, one way that that showed up for me is like I have like slow processing and I have auditory processing issues. I have executive dysfunction. I've got everything. Um, and so for me, the way that that showed in class is I took slower to respond to things. And because of that, people just assumed I was dumb and would kind of talk down to me or kind of make fun of me. Um, and so the teachers didn't really do anything to stop that. And they kind of not really like egged it on, but they would get annoyed with me, like visibly frustrated. Like they wouldn't do anything but you could tell on their face they were annoyed and they'd like move on to the next person. And mm. so like as a kid, you feel totally like outed, like you feel like kind of targeted because it feels like all the kids are kind of laughing at you. The teacher's not supporting you. So that's it's like, like another dismissive thing. too. Like, hey, you're not even like giving me the chance to to engage and process. Yeah, because a lot of people just don't understand what it means to have like executive dysfunction or ADHD or autism like they just, they see the stereotype, they see the cliches. And if you don't align with that perfectly, they either think you're like making it up or they just, they just think you're basically just a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's true. And, and the more that we can, which, you know, obviously you're doing a great job of that, having a podcast, sharing this, you know, with, with teachers, with parents, that the more we can talk about it and raise that awareness, the more educators and parents can be aware of these things. It's not necessarily a choice or it's it's some type of struggle that that child is having at that moment. Yeah. And honestly, there's one more step that I would take that I feel like essentially no school is doing. And I think this needs to be the next thing. A lot of times, like, you know, we have IEPs and we have these goals for these kids that have these disabilities. If they meet the requirements of what the school considers a disability, that's a whole other thing to talk about. But what they don't take into consideration is where are these kids getting their genetics from? Like they're getting it from their parents. Most of these parents are also likely either neurodivergent themselves or have some other disability. And they seem to completely forget that. So like when the school's handling things with me, for instance, like it's hard for me to keep track of the paperwork. It's hard for me to remember these deadlines. It's hard for me to put into words what I'm thinking and things like that. And it's like, the accommodations are there for your kid, but they're not there for you as the parent who is trying to be, you know, involved in the school for your child, even though you yourself have the exact same diagnosis as your kid. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, even simple things like, you know, I used to do this when I was in the in the classroom on, on like preference assessments with parents, like, hey, do you want me to communicate with you via email, via text, via, you know, phone call? Can I leave a message? How much is too much? And that, when I started doing that, that made a big difference because I was like, I'm communicating with people in a way that they don't even like. Like, I mean, I'm not a big phone person. I'd rather have someone email or text me. Some people love a phone call. So when I started doing that, that really changed how often I was engaging with parents and how often parents wanted to engage back because it was in a way that was more comfortable for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like the best thing to do. If you if you have a kid with an IEP, just kind of ask the parents, see if they have any personal preferences with communication or anything like that, because 
it's pretty likely that they've got something. Yeah. And like you said, even the organization piece, I mean, it's a lot for anyone to keep track of like life's paperwork, but then you add, you know, a child with special needs that like quadruples that. So giving kind of support and assistance with that would be a great thing for parents. Yeah. I have one teacher from one kid that's really great. And the other one that's not so great, but the one that's really great, she puts sticker notes on everything saying like, turn this one in, you keep this one, sign here, do that. So like, that's super helpful. Oh, I love that. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about Autism Wish and how it came to be? Yeah. So Autism Wish is kind of like our mom and pop charity. It actually started because of the pandemic. Um, So like I mentioned earlier, when COVID hit, we basically were locked out of all of our therapies for our kids. And they started to regress because this was early in their diagnosis. So they hadn't had a chance to really build those skills yet. So we like realized because we sat in on a lot of their appointments and we realized that a lot of these appointments are things that I could do with my kid at home if I just had like the basic fine motor toys or the speech books or whatever it is that I need to like practice that at home. So what we decided is, you know, it would be really practical if we could just find a way to get these like toys or gadgets or whatever it may be, sensory tools to these parents during this lockdown so that they can at least continue that therapy at home. So Autism Wish basically came about. We came up with the idea of just having kids' parents create wish lists on Amazon and then connecting those wish lists with sponsors who would then gift things off of their wish list on um, Christmas holiday. And so that's how it started. Um, It's grown since that now we also do Valentine's cards in February and we also do noise reduction earmuffs for the 4th of July. Um, But it really all came out of that initial need during the pandemic. I love this so much. Oh my gosh. I feel like there is such a huge need in this community for something like that. And you're right. Like these, these things are expensive too. Like they're uh, things that are are going to last that are not going to like be, you know, used once and then broken are, aren't cheap. So being able to give parents a way to get that, I mean, that must be such a game changer for so many families. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not going to lie. The one thing that really inspired us to do this was actually our local government's grant system. So, um, our state has this like grant where you can have like $2,000 towards funding, um, for certain things that you need for your, autistic child. But the rules are so strict. And it was like on this lottery system that you couldn't get things that were obviously helpful for your child on like Amazon um, because they're not from like an autism store. You had to get them from the store where they marked it up a ton. So then you could get fewer things with the grant. And that just made me so mad. I was like, no, I'm just going to go straight to Amazon and let people pick what they need. And I trust them. I trust parents. They know what their kids need. Oh, that's so great. And the noise-canceling headphones for 4th of July. What a good idea. Yeah, that came about because our kids just couldn't handle it. And I was like, you know, I must not be the only parent going through this. So so parents go online and they can set up like a profile or an account and like kind of share what they need for their child. Is that how it works? So we have a mailing list. So if you go to autismwish.org, at the bottom of the page, we have an email list. And basically we have um, an email go out with like a sign-up form. Uh, We usually have it limited to like the first like 100 to sign up because we have limited supplies and sponsors. Um, But yeah, all of that is like through that email list basically. Okay. Well, we're going to have 
I'm going to put it in the link in the show notes. We're going to have people sign up for your email <laughs> list to get on there. And then how can people sponsor and support you guys? Uh, so that is also on autismwish.org slash give. Um, we have a bunch of different ways. So like we have an Amazon wish list that people can like purchase some of these things off of. Um, we have like uh, direct, some people like to sponsor kids directly or indirectly. So over the holidays, you can actually ask to directly sponsor somebody. And if that's the case, we'll match you with a person and give you like their bio, their age and their wish list. And you can just directly grant stuff from their wish list. Some people rather just give like a lump sum of money um, and then have us kind of gift them on their behalf because it's easier. So we'll do that too. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> so have you heard from parents like that end up getting, you know, on, on the receiving end and, and kind of what that means for them and their family? Oh yeah, we have lots of people who've left, left us a ton of reviews. They leave us pictures of like their kids with their, either their headphones or whatever they might get, their swings, and they post it all over our Facebook um, so yeah, we hear back. Um, we have had one particular story that hit hard um, because over the holidays, we had a kid who was autistic and on palliative care. And we were actually able to get him a sponsor um, who went above and beyond for this kid and got him like an entire computer gaming system and like all this stuff, which most of the time our gifts are smaller. Like, like it's like maybe like a $50 gift. But this sponsor went above and beyond and like hooked this kid up and my Aww. heart was just melting. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, yeah, <laughs> this is so amazing. I mean, look at like, even in such a short amount of time, like, you know, we're saying like the pandemic doesn't feel like that long ago, but you know, it really wasn't that and how much, you know, you and your family have been able to do that. So amazing. Thank you. Well, where can people go to learn more from you? You want to share where your, what your podcast is called and where we can find your podcast? Yeah, sure. Um, so the podcast is called Embracing Autism. You can find that on any major podcasting platform. So Apple, Spotify, even a bunch of the smaller ones. And our social media is uh, Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. And we also have our live video podcast. So we just added video to our podcast this year. And that is on our YouTube channel. So that's youtube.com slash at Autism Wish. Okay, cool. We will link all of those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Leah, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.